Hey, everybody. It's Mike Rickheim. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Matt's Getting to Know Podcast. Today, I'm joined by probably the most technical guest that we've ever had on the Getting to Know Podcast. Mr. Sarma Malati, our Chief Information Officer, has joined us today. Sarma, thanks for taking time out of your schedule. Thanks for having me, Mike. We're excited to have you. I don't think we've ever had an IT leader or IT professional of any sort on the Getting to Know podcast. So we're excited to have you, hoping that um, hoping that we don't run into any glitches because that would be embarrassing for those of us here at the Getting to Know podcast. <laughs> I hope so too. So Sarma, you are in charge of all of our information, all of our systems, uh, probably a big chunk of the processes that, that, that feed those systems. You've got a big job here bringing two companies together. Indeed, it is. And I am I'm certainly excited about the opportunity to be part of the journey and uh, make contributions along the way. Significant contributions, I should say. So, Sarma, early on, like, you know, pre-close, probably during the diligence process, when, when you're looped into this and find out that a merger of equals is ahead... What are your first couple thoughts as it relates to your world and what the what the impacts are going to be? In my my thirty plus years of experience in this space, specifically in the last fifteen plus years in the role of a CIO, I've seen many mergers and acquisitions, especially at SWM, which grew through many acquisitions. We were still in the middle of fully integrating them. And when you are really kind of not fully done, and then you announce a merger of this scale, you know that what what needs to be done, but the complexity just proportionately increases. So that was the first thing that I was thinking about, you know, some of the tweaks that we need to be making to the direction that we have set for SWM in the context of the merger announcement. What do we need to pause? What do we need to continue? And what do we need to think about scaling-wise? So whatever we do would actually benefit the combined organization. Those were some of the thoughts that were crossing my mind. How different is a merger of equals from just a regular acquisition that you would have been involved in in your in your early SWM days or or prior like is it is it dramatically different for you doing what you do in your team in terms of best practices and what is deemed as a best practice and who governs that right now ideally speaking whether that is a merger or an acquisition right it should be the same principle you want to think about what is best for the combined company. Now, if it is an acquisition, typically there is this notion of this acquiring company, right, tends to set the standards. And that's what becomes the de facto for the combined company or the company acquired. Whereas in a merger of equals, the notion is, right, now you need to kind of take into account a uh, little bit of you know the voice on both sides. But to me, if we are truly objective and we are all set to do the right things for the combined company, it should be the same philosophy, right? With the same degree of open-mindedness to see 
what is the best practice in each of the entities that is coming together and be open about adopting the best of the two rather than this, you know, I own you, so hence I dictate, right? May not necessarily yield the most positive outcome. So I believe in that objectivity. I believe in that openness. So in my head, at least for for the work in my space, which is normalizing, harmonizing the processes and the enablement, it shouldn't be any different whether that is an acquisition or it is a merger. Where would you say we are compared to where you would have expected us to be from an IT standpoint? Yeah, I wish we are much further along, Mike, but as I kind of alluded to in one of responses to an earlier question, the fact that in some of the legacies that are some of the acquisitions that we have made are not fully integrated yet. And now as a combined company, we need to think about one common brand, one common email, one common teams, one method of common method of enabling collaboration between all the entities, right? The fact that some of the acquisitions are still continuing to use what they had before the acquisition and and the magnitude of this work compounding through this merger, it would take time to get to that common look and feel, that common email, that common method of collaboration for the combined company. So six months since the merger, I don't think you know we would be much further along relative to the integration aspirations that we have, you know, where we want it to be. The good news is one of the major initiatives that we have planned called Matip.com, which is what would get us the 7,500 employees to one common email, one method of authentication, one common teams, and one method of collaborating across the enterprise. That initiative has been approved and just about to be kicked off. So my hope is by the time this is aired, we would at least be completing the design and working more towards piloting that in either one or two small sites or one or two small functions to make sure that we have designed it well and can cut our teeth to address any nuances before we begin to do mass rollouts. Makes sense. Sarma, in these early days, what would you say you're most proud of uh, as you've dug in with your team to stand up the new organization? I think the for any endeavors that we want to accomplish as a company, having the right talent, people with the right skills and the right competencies, that is the key ingredient, right? When we think about best practices, processes, enablement, change management that we want to think about. People are the key aspect of it and the critical component for our success. I am quite pleased with the talent that has come through this merger from the other side, from Legacy Nina, and this combined strength 
I am very pleased and very confident is going to position us to not only plan, but successfully execute and deliver on all the integration expectations the combined company has from my team. That's interesting, Sarma. If I look across your team, it seems like you have a really nice blend of talent from both legacy companies with some new, fresh, outside perspective. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. What do you notice that you get kind of from that new, fresh perspective? You've got Rajan, Rajiv, I think, new, fairly new to your team shortly after close. They've integrated well, just kind of bring that new new perspective? Absolutely. I guess, you know, the advantage that you get always when you are kind of living and breathing in the same environment after a while, everything kind of looks familiar, right? You may not necessarily be paying attention to some of the nuances, but when you bring new talent into the organization, that fresh perspective, as well as the experience that, you know, what they bring to the table based on what they have done at other companies, validating the thought process, the architecture, the designs, right? And thinking about some of the change management aspect, which is the most critical component of what what makes these initiatives successful. And not only just from the folks that we just hired, but if I think about the legacy Nina team, looking through a fresh eye, at what legacy SWM has or SCAPA has and vice versa. So it is fresh perspectives even within, including the talent that we brought from outside. What's the best part of your current role, Sarma? The best part of my current role, Mike, is I always say, I know kind of when when people say IT, CIO, technologist is probably what comes to their mind first. But to me, the most exciting part of my role and, and leading this function is learning about the business aspirations. Where do we want to be in the next three to five years? What are the hurdles business or other functions in the enterprise are facing to get there? Where are the opportunities and what levers can we use, can we pull to overcome those challenges? collaborating with all the cross-functional teams in identifying and capturing that strategic value is really what I am most excited about. You mentioned a lot of times people will think about a more technical or technologist type of background. Is that the most common misconception about your role? It is. It is. You know, sometimes in some of these meetings, like some of the fellow team members, um, when they say they have a problem with their iPhone device or their laptops looking for some help desk kind of a help, uh, they're kind of looking to me. And to be honest, I do not know how to fix myself. And my wife also kind of complains. You say you are a CIO and you don't know what's wrong with this device, why it is erroring out. You don't know how to fix it. That's really you know, not my expertise or the forte that I bring to the table. What I really enjoy and what I bring to the table and is you know, what is even expected from the enterprise in the, in the new world is how, you know, someone that really understands the business well 
understands the aspirations, identifies what challenges the business needs to overcome, helps them in influencing and identifying technology leveraging opportunities for new innovative business models that helps build the competitive edge, capture that value and build a true differentiation. That is really what excites me the most. That's the value that I bring to the table in my role. And yes, early part of my career, I did deal with technologies, designed and wrote a bunch of software, but knowing those nuances to that level suddenly helps me validate the solutions proposed by the teams. But that by itself doesn't necessarily cut it for someone to be very successful in this role. At what point in your career did it strike you that that's what you wanted wanted to do? You wanted to enable business solutions through technology? Yeah. Great question, Mike. When I was working for Intergraph, which is a product development company, initially the work was, here are all the functional specifications, go design and write tons of code. And we were neck deep doing that as a team. But when that was completed, between that assignment and the next, there was a gap. And everybody was kind of feeling restless, not, you know, not having work to do. And at that time, I still remember one of our senior managers said, why don't you guys just huddle, think about other business problems that you think you can solve and write some technology solutions to to enable that. And we were all kind of looking at each other's face even after spending a couple of days. Like if somebody describes the problem or they want a solution, by then we acquired sufficient skills to design and build technology solutions, but to be aware of business problems and the scale, the generalities of it across industries, without that knowledge, you know, if you don't even know what the problem is, no point just thinking about how to solve it, right? Right. So that is when it actually dawned on me that from software development, it actually makes better sense and I could be a lot more impactful learning the business. So that's when I truly transitioned my career from writing technology, software solutions to getting more and more onto the business side. And what was that pivot like, Sarma? Was that very meaningful career moves into a type of role or different kind of company or what, what enabled that? Yeah, obviously it was a career move for me, given that aspiration. There is nothing wrong to remain as a technologist, right? You could be deeply skilled in that specific technology and there is tremendous value in having such deep skills in one particular area. But I guess for my personality and for my taste, especially if you think about the IT function, in an enterprise context, right? The leadership roles are all focused around marrying the business processes to technology enablement. It doesn't matter who writes that code, doesn't matter who builds that platform, but do we have the right enabler 
and how well does it fit within the fabric of what we have, right? That is the need of the hour for someone to be successful in an IT leadership role in an enterprise. And that was of great interest to me personally, you know, such a career progression and roles is really what I found to be, you know, more attractive and interesting. And hence, I started transitioning from that product development company more into the consulting, which I thought has provided me a tremendous opportunity to meet with many different clients, learn about their business problems, and then suggest technology strategy directions that they need to take. But when it came to actually implementing, you deploy a team to do the grunt work, right? You don't get into the weeds of it. And that's really you know, how it truly gave me the bandwidth to learn about enterprise business processes across many different industries. That's great. Sarma, if we go all the way back, let's go to the very, very beginning. Talk to us about uh, where you're from, where you grew up, kind of those formative days. I was uh, born, brought up in India, born in a highly orthodox family where daily rituals and a lot of diet restrictions. As growing up as a child, we weren't even allowed to eat onion, let alone other things, right? So that kind of an environment suddenly helped bring a lot of discipline into my value system. But sometimes I feel perhaps it was a little too restrictive to kind of constrain you from learning about the art of the possible. So both positives and opportunities to, to, to be different. Where in India were you born? This is southern part of India in a town called Rajamandri. Um, this is in a state um, known as Andhra Pradesh. And uh, I don't know if you're aware, but in India, we have almost 30 different official languages. So each state has their own mother tongue. And mine is called Telugu. Now, is it the southern part of India is where there's more technology focus? Is that right? Culturally, you know, between south and north, there is a slight distinction in the sense that the emphasis on higher education, getting more and more in deep and broad into many subject areas, seeking higher degrees in colleges. Culturally, there is higher emphasis in South than in North. So that's why if, if you see even in the technology space, a lot of migrations from India into many other advanced countries in the IT technology space, a higher percentage of that population happens to be from South for that reason. Gotcha. Gotcha. Talk to me more about the onion restriction. That's a uh, restriction that I was unaware of. Yeah, I think, I guess, you know, this is where there is a distinction, right? Rituals are meant for some purpose. And when you are born into these orthodox families, you just follow, right? No questions asked. So the idea behind this, as I learned afterwards, is your mental evolution, your behaviors are governed by what you eat to some extent. And that's the reason why the caste in which I was born 
there were high restrictions on what you could eat and what you couldn't eat. It's not just about the broad category of vegetarian, non-vegetarian. Even being a vegetarian, there are certain items, there are you know, certain foods that were prohibitive, like garlic, onion, even you know, potato. There are some variations where people are not supposed to eat those. So these restrictions kind of a little bit vary, but uh, as, I, as I said before, I learned subsequently in a why, what was the idea behind. Now, th these are all very abstract subjects, right? So there is no definitive way to say, yep, I agree with that logic or I don't agree with that logic. If you believe in it, it makes sense. Otherwise, you can always question. How old were you when you left India? India, first time when I left, it was in 1990. I was, uh, that, I was 28, 27. And you came directly to the U.S. or did you have some stops along the way? I first went to Paris, stayed there for three months before coming to U.S. Gotcha. Since you've been in the U.S., have you found what you would describe to be acceptable Indian food? I would say it transformed significantly from my first experience to now. When I first came to this country, I, I went straight to this town called Huntsville in Alabama. That's where Intergraph headquarters is based out of. And there was no Indian food there. If you want to eat vegetarian food, go to Pizza Hut was probably our only option. And at that time, this is 1990, if you want to go eat in an Indian restaurant, we had to drive to Atlanta. And there was just one restaurant in Atlanta at that time. Now, a few times, because there is a one-hour time difference, we didn't time it properly. By the time we got to Atlanta, thinking, hey, the restaurant would still be open, only to find, because of the time difference, it was already closed. From that to now, you go to Atlanta, every street corner has a dozen excellent Indian restaurant options. So it is transformative from that to now. That's great. Sarma, is your wife from the same part of India as you? She is. Yeah. The only time I came to know was when I first met her, but she happened to be from the same town, though she grew up in a different state. So she speaks a different language with, within her family, even though she can speak my mother tongue too. So if she has to say something about me to her siblings or her parents, she naturally switches to that other language. Yeah, makes sense. Smart woman you got there. Uh, your two boys, were they born in the U.S.? No, both my sons were born in India too. Okay. My second son was 20 days old when he moved to U.S. I came first, and after the delivery, my wife joined uh, with, the, with, the, with the two boys. Uh, but both were born in India. So tell us a little bit about your sons. So my first son is presently working as an assistant professor at Cornell. Uh, he went, did his undergrad from U Chicago, went and joined a hedge funds company in uh, Connecticut within a few months. He found that boring, didn't match his appetite, so he went back to school again to do his PhD. 
And uh, last year, he started working as an assistant professor in economics. Research in this space is his deep passion. So he tells me that he's thoroughly enjoying what he's doing now. So I'm happy for him. My second son also went to the same college. My first one went to UChicago for his undergrad and is currently working with uh, Wayfair and uh, helping them with some data science and uh, analytics related uh, work. That's great. How has the um, experience been from having you know the full house for all those years and now both your boys are out and they've got their own careers going? What's What's life like now for you? You know, when, when I got married, you know, our first son was born before our first marriage anniversary. So I always used to tell him he never really gave us any space for me and my wife. So when my second one left for, for college, we felt, okay, now finally we get to spend time together, um, things that we couldn't do soon after marriage. Little did I not realize at that time that, you know, if you're spending time soon after marriage just between the wife and the husband, you don't need to really think about who you're missing, right? But once you have sons, and even if it's an empty nest, you still keep thinking about, you know, how you're missing them. So it's not the same experience, but we're getting used to it. It's now almost, you know, six plus years just between me and my wife as empty nesters. And we're trying to kind of figure out, you know, how often we could go meet them or how we could use the time to go see places. Yeah. What do you do for fun when you're not going to, to, to see your boys or traveling in general? I have, uh, you know, reading is definitely, you know, the, if I have to list my hobbies, that's really number one. And uh, I do, I, I do like outdoor activities. So I do play tennis or golf. So when my sons are around or I have friends to to spend some time with, I do play either tennis or golf whenever I can. If not, my wife and I are going around to see some places. Either we could drive or fly to. Each weekend, we kind of picking a place and uh, uh, checking them out. Yeah. What's your favorite place to visit in, east of the Mississippi River? East of the Mississippi River. That would be Florida. Oh, yeah? Any specific part of Florida? or I think every part of Florida, I guess, you know, the tropical weather there, the atmosphere, and not cold throughout the year. Yes, it gets pretty hot, but coming from India, I guess, you know, you can't complain about um, heat. But cold weather, even though I lived in the Northeast for almost 30 plus years, um, we still prefer the warm weather. So I guess that's really one attraction why, you know, Florida. Sarma, at the end of every Getting to Know podcast, we ask our guests three specific questions. I'm going to hit you with those right now. The first one is, what would you say is always, all times a year, in the Malati family refrigerator? Wow. Great question. Yeah. I guess what comes to my mind, Mike, is yogurt. Given that we eat spicy, hot food all the time, the only way to balance that is eat yogurt in every meal. So whether you eat anything else or not, yogurt 
with rice is a must eat. So you will always find yogurt in our refrigerator. That makes sense because you're vegetarian, not vegan, right? That's correct. That's right. That's right. Okay. Makes sense. All right. Second question for you, Sarma. Amongst those who know you fairly well, what would you say you're most famous for? People that know me well know that I have sweet tooth. So they make sure every time we meet, either in a restaurant or at you know individual houses, they make sure that there are a lot of sweet dishes available. Um, so not only the main food, but I have plenty of desserts to 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 satisfy the you know that dimension. What would you say is your all-time favorite dessert? Anything that has sugar in it goes with me, Mike. Okay, all right, that works. <laughs> he's not he's not picky. I like it. I like it. All right, last question for you, Sarma. What would you say you're most looking forward to right this very moment? At this very moment, on the personal front. My niece is getting married uh, in Feb. So everybody in the house, because you know my wife's sister's family and uh, our family, the children kind of grew together. So she's almost like our own daughter. So everybody in the house is always just talking about the marriage. You know, you know this five-day celebrations, right? So, you know, what to do, when to do what, how to organize, what is, who is going to do what. A lot of the dialogue going on in the house. So that's that's what everybody in the house is suddenly looking forward to. On the professional front, as you know, you were asking me early on, I am suddenly looking forward to delivering on some of the key integration enablers the combined organization is looking for to enrich the user experience, the employee experience. Well, we certainly appreciate that and look forward to that it's been a uh it's been a wild first five months together but 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 a fun one for sure um not without its challenges but but that that certainly brings some excitement indeed it does sarma thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule to spend with us today on the getting to know podcast thanks again mike thanks for having me certainly you know enjoyed uh, the dialogue enjoyed it as well for those of you in the listening audience i hope you enjoyed getting to know sarma and we'll talk to you again in two more weeks 